Greetings, I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. This is lesson number 23, and I will start this lesson with a question. This question is the theme of this lesson. What do you have time for? That sounds like an innocuous question, doesn't it? What do you mean? What do you have time for? The scripture says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He had just taught in Matthew 6 uh, and told his followers, You don't need to pray for food. You don't need to pray for clothing, uh, etc. I'm your father. I know what you have need of. And these are the things that fatherless Gentiles seek after. But there's that conjunction followed all of that. And then he's, he's taught all the stuff I shouldn't pray for, don't need to pray for. And now he's telling us what I do need to pray for. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, if that, if I do that, then all this stuff the Gentiles have to seek after, and all these things shall be added unto you. An addition is not something I pursue. An addition is something that is given to me voluntarily uh, by the one doing the adding. It's not my focus. In addition, it's not my focus. I'm, what am I seeking? What am I seeking? What is my priorities? And so uh, the word first here, and it's an important word in the Greek, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his uh, righteousness. That word first means first in order of time. And first in our priorities. First. First means first. First every day. First in our hearts. First in our focus. First in our desires. First in our time commitments. First. So the question then comes down to this. As Christians, how do we use our time? Our allocation of time clearly demonstrates our faith and commitment to God. Whoa, you mean our doing the do's and not doing the don'ts? That doesn't really prove our commitment to God? Nah, no it doesn't. There are people that outwardly do the do's and don't do the don'ts and they don't know God at all. Those things are nothing but fruit. And they can be imitation fruit of the real or the, or the absence of the real, imitation fruit. But those things are the, the true fruit of a real relationship with God. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one more time. Listen to this. This is real critical. Our allocation of time, how we use our time, what the priority of our time is, clearly demonstrates our faith and commitment to God. 
it reveals our faith and our commitment to God. You know, James said, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The word show there means demonstrate. I'm going to demonstrate my faith by my works. Well, one of the clearest, most obvious ways that we demonstrate our faith is how we use our time. One of the most clear, the clearest and most obvious way we demonstrate the degree of our commitment to God is how we use our time. Technological utility support devices. How you like that phrase? <laughs> Technological utility support devices that also provide endless, trivial time sacrifice and entertainment are exponentially fueling lukewarm mediocrity through addictive, harmless activity. So let me give you the interpretation of that. These toys, these electronic toys we have, no matter what they are, they're now electronic, and they are very and they're very real today. Wow, the first video game that I bought years ago for the for my boys, it is nothing like this. Pong, bing, boom, 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 boom. You play pong, and, and you sit there after a while. You go, what am I doing? Well, nowadays, boy, you can just get into that. And with the Internet, you can play these video games with people all over the world and set records, and everybody will know who you are. Oh, yeah, and there's a couple of people that have so do that that they are professionals, and they live their life doing that, and they live that. And then you have the people that are Internet, social media influencers. So they influence their followers. It would be hilarious if it wasn't so sad. It would be hilarious. And then one of the most famous singers today, some kid from Canada, he recorded stuff and put it on YouTube, and he became famous like that, and then he became famous off YouTube. And then his life became a wreck, and the story was he was a Christian when he started putting those videos he made in his garage or whatever it was on YouTube. He was a Christian. <laughs> well, it wasn't long once he became famous that he wasn't living like a Christian. What, 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 you know, it's not long if I give myself over to this stuff that I'm no longer doing the harmless stuff. I'm doing the harmful stuff. Because it's just so difficult. Flesh is never satisfied. And there is no way, no way in this world that any person with any kind of spiritual or intellectual integrity can truly look you in the eye and say, the hours I spend on social media are positive and productive and edifying really 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 
There are already many well-attended support groups throughout the country for people who cannot stay off the Internet. There are now even Facebook Anonymous and Texting Anonymous and many other similar groups in which even believers have had to participate because their harmless entertainment has taken over their lives. And you can say, well, not mine, not me. No, no, it's not affecting me like that. Many, many Christians have come into bondage through these subtle but powerfully addicting activities. I'm not addicted. No problem. It's easy to prove that. Don't do it for a week. Don't do it. Go two days with none of it. Do it. Prove. Prove to yourself, first of all, you're not addicted. That you can, out of sight, out of mind, no problem. Uh-uh. No, that you can get off of it and not even think about it. Nah, I control how much time I you do on it. Uh, that It doesn't control me, I do. I control it. Really? Prove it. <clears throat> Prove it. Prove that you can live 24 hours without the iPad. Prove that you can live 24 hours without texting. Oh, people need to hear from me, Really? Yeah, go back over your text and see how much of it is nothing but just meaningless banter. Well, don't you love people? I love people. The Lord loves people through me. Communication is one thing, but just wasting time with somebody, just wasting time is very addictive. Or even worse, not interacting with people at all. Just in some world I've created of, video game or internet surfing or watching stuff on whatever. Such worldly pursuits corrupt the very purpose for why the church is still here. Why why hasn't the rapture taken place? Why is the church still here? The church is here to be the salt of the earth. The church is here to seek and save the lost. The church is here to be a light in this world and salt. That's what we're doing here. As a result of the people of the church being so addicted, so many of the people of the church being so addicted to worldly pursuits, the church is not being revived. The Lord's harvest is not being reaped and the believers are living lives focused on the temporal rather than the eternal. I Read the verse just a couple of lessons ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at those things which are seen, but the things which cannot be seen, because the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which cannot be seen are eternal. Where is my focus? The scripture says, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Oh, I know, I know, I've heard it. Well, they are so heavenly minded, they are no no earthly good. But what happens when the church is so earthly minded, it's of no heavenly good? What happens then? What happens when the church is not spiritual enough, that it's gotten close enough to the world, looks like the world, acts like the world? Tries to reach the world using the world's methods. I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but 
What does light shows and smoke and all of that have to do with reaching the lost? All of that is our confession that we, there's not enough conviction in the house to draw sinners and then convict them when they're there, when they get there. There's not enough in the house. When we get together, there's not enough presence of God and conviction from God for sinners to be drawn without all of that stuff they're used to in the clubs. I've had sinners say to me, I went to such and such a church and it was like going into a club. But what's the difference? It's a club. Really? 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 Why do we resort to all of that stuff? Because we're so, our lives are so filled with worldly pursuits that we don't have time for God. So therefore, there is not enough presence of God and there's not enough repented lives in the house for there to be a spirit of conviction in the house so that sinners are drawn and so that they are convicted when they get there and they feel something they've never felt before and they want what they're feeling and so they're drawn to it and they want to get saved. Why is that not the case? The consequence of all of this is that many sinners are still lost because Many laborers don't have time to work in God's harvest fields. Why? Because they're filling their time with other non-spiritual, non-productive activities. One of the saddest verses in all the scripture is where Jeremiah said very succinctly, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Why? Because, again, if Christ is in me and he came to seek and save the lost, and I can't be saved without Christ in me, and Christ can't be in me without being who he is, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If, if that's the case, if he's in me, and he's in the church, then me and the church are conduits for him to do what he came to do. And if that's not happening through us, <laughs> then uh, we have to really ask ourselves this question. Is Christ really in me? If he can't change, and this is his focus and priority, so much so that he died a horrible death to provide for their salvation. Willingly gave himself the most horrible death that's ever been died. Isaiah 52 says his visage, his face was marred more than any man. If he went through all of that so they could be saved. And yet they're not being saved through us. They're not being reached by our church. They're not being reached by our individual lives. Then can we honestly say that Christ is in us? Let me quickly and carefully state that overindulgence in technological entertainment is not the sole cause of the specific consequences that I've been discussing here. However, it is no doubt a very notable contributor. Why? Because to draw close to Jesus takes time. And when I don't have time because I'm busy, then I have to ask my question, what am I busy doing 
Do I come home and sit and talk with my wife for hours on end, just her and I face to face? Do I come home and spend my time one-on-one with my kids all evening till it's time to go to bed? Uh, do I come home and work around the house the whole time because I, I'm trying to get stuff done around the house for my family? Or do I come home because I've worked hard and I deserve to relax and I deserve entertain to be entertained? Is that really, is that it? Isn't that it in most cases? The inability to defeat self-justifying religious approaches to God and all the detriments that such entails in our personal lives and to grow steadily and steadfastly in our relationship with him is ultimately the greater inhibitor. But, again, to grow in God takes time. I have to invest time in that relationship. My relationship with my wife cannot grow without time invested. My relationship with my kids can't grow without time invested. My relationship with God cannot grow without time invested. When we overindulge in these things because we are empty, we are empty because, let me, let me say that again, we overindulge in these things because we're empty. We overindulge in these things because we're empty. And why are we empty? Because we're not full of God. We're not full. We're empty because we lack the sensitivity and surrender to his spirit that grows when our focus is upon pursuing just him. When, when he is not our focus, nothing else works. When he is not our focus, our relationship with our wife or husband is never going to be what it should be. Our relationship with our kids or our parents is never going to be what it should be. Our jobs are never going to be what they should be. Our life, our health is never going to be what it should be. Why? Because he's the source of all that. And when I, when I choose to cut myself off from the source of all those things that he is the source of, and I'm without those things. I can't blame that on God. He doesn't love me. He's not being fair. No, I cut myself off from the source of those things. He is the source. And why should he invest those things in us when we're not investing anything in him or very little? Well, I go to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we go through the motions and we watch our watches and we wonder how much longer we've got to sit here. How much longer is this going to take? I got stuff to do. The ball game is coming on. Preacher, don't you know? The game starts at one. We got to get out of here. Or we got to get to the restaurant before the crowd does. Really? Yeah. Other churches are letting out. If we don't get out soon, we're going to have to stand in line for lunch. Really? Really? Oh, or it's hunting season, preacher. You can't expect us at church during hunting season. Why? It's only a short time every year. Shouldn't we have a right to put God on the back burner for hunting season? Well, it's football season. Before that's over, it's uh, baseball season. In the middle of that, there is uh, 
hockey and basketball, and then there is uh, before baseball season's over with, then it's uh, football season again, and before football season's over with, and right after baseball season's over with, now it's hockey and basketball, and we go round and round, and then overlaying all of that is golf and or some fishing show or hunting show, or maybe it's a house remodeling show that we can't miss. And have I watched ball games? Yeah. Will I watch more in the future? Possibly. It's not the question. The question is, what's my priorities? What's my priorities? In Jesus and Jesus alone is life and life more abundant. If he's not the one I am investing myself in, then I don't have a life. I'm just existing. And I'm living from high point to high point, time of fun to time of fun, pleasure of the flesh to pleasure of the flesh. In between that, I don't have a life. You know, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. I spent five days working. Going through the motions of life, working to earn enough money so that Friday gets here and I can work, I can party on Friday and party on Saturday and party on Sunday and sober up on, 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 on Saturday and Saturday night. So I can sober up on Sunday so I can go back to work on Monday and do it all over again. Where's the purpose in that? Where's the focus in that? Where's the meaning in that? And yet, that's how the world lives. Now, I understand people that have never had God living like that. But how can someone who has tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, how can those who have drunk of his spirit and eaten of his word, how can they be satisfied with that kind of life? How can that their life be, be about that and they just work God into their schedule rapidly, quickly, whenever they can? How can it be about that? I have used these verses already in a previous lesson, a recent previous lesson. <laughs> but here they are again. One of the key antidotes to this situation is praying and meaning the Lord's Prayer request. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You can't see the multitudes when your face is buried all the time in an iPad. You can't see the multitude when your face is buried in a video game all the time. You can't see the multitudes when you're on social media all the time. You can't. You don't have time for that. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. That's a guaranteed harvest from God. And not just a little harvest, but a massive harvest. What's the problem? The laborers are all busy doing stuff that the world does. They don't have time for it. Maybe it's making money. Maybe you're just making money. Just working all the time trying to make money so you can buy stuff. So you can take a vacation, go where you want to go, and then you work all the time. You don't have time for God, so you can go take vacation. And then you sure don't involve yourself with God on vacation, do you? Do we? <laughs> do we? Nah. That's not, that's not the, the habit, okay? That's not what we're used to. 
So here was the Lord's solution. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know why we don't pray that prayer? Because on some level we understand that when we pray it, we may be the answer to it. That he may use us as the answer to that prayer. And so do we really pray it? Nah. Oh, Lord. Because praying it reminds me I'm not out there, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind me? When I'm praying, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, he'd send forth labors unto his harvest. When I'm praying that, just the act of me praying, it reminds me I'm not out there. But if I can have the reverence for God to pray it and the faith to pray it, then God will work it in me. And if he will work it in me, maybe that will light a fire that will spread to others. I've always wanted to be the match that lit a bonfire. I've always wanted to be that. All of my life, I've wanted to be the match that lit a bonfire. You know why? Because the match seems so small and insignificant. And once it's thrown on the stack of wood there that becomes the bonfire, the the match is so consumed that in the blaze of that fire, nobody remembers who the match was. And God gets the glory. Do you want to be a match for the bonfire in your area, in your town, in your county, in your state, in your nation, in your world? You know, to be set on fire of God, I've got to be seeking God. And maybe that which strikes the match and causes me to be ablaze is praying the prayer. Lord of the harvest, compel, that's one translation of the word send forth, to arrest and compel. Another translation goes thrust out, to cause laborers to be thrust out into his harvest. We must be involved as laborers in the Lord's harvest field for the lost sake, but we also must be involved in the Lord's harvest field for our sake. Why? Because idle laborers become bored Christians. And bored Christians need to fill their time and life with stuff and things in order to be happy. Of course, this never works. It does not work. It does not work. The idle and uninvolved always fight temptations that w- that the involved never have time for and thus, thus are ne- never tempted with. If, if I'm battling stuff, I got to look at how I'm using my time. Am I battling that stuff because I'm idle? Because I'm not involved with God and his kingdom? I can't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness without becoming involved in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I wasn't born in, 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 born again just to be in the church, just to be saved. Because John 3, 3 through 5 does not say, except the man be born again, he cannot see the church. Except the man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the church. He did not use the word church there because he wanted us to know. He expects us to be involved in what the church is called here to do. The church is who we are. The kingdom of God is what we do. That's why he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
what, so the church is not just this be this this entity that just exists. No, he established the church to be doing something. And what is it he, the church is doing? The church is coming against the gates of hell. And we have a promise that when we come against the gates of hell, hell can't win. And he gave us tools to do that with. And under thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Are we so busy with the world's stuff as Christians that we don't have time to pray the king, keys of the kingdom? That we don't have time to participate in the kingdom? It is not enough to be in the church. It's not enough to be in the church. It's not enough to be saved. You weren't born again just to be in the church. You weren't born again just to be saved. You and I were born again to be a part of the kingdom, to participate, be participants in the kingdom, to do the work of the kingdom. We were born again for that. The stuff that many fill their lives with today almost always involves some kind of activity that involves the eyes. But the eye is never satisfied with seeing, is it? No. Instead of seeing fields that are white already in the harvest, we only see what the world is viewing to fill empty lives and hearts. It's not working for them. It's not working for the world. Why do those that have God in their lives give themselves over to habitually do the things that aren't working for the world? If they're not working for the world, why do they, I think they will work for me. Why? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is of the world. It's not of the Father. The world passes away, and everything that's in the world is going to pass away. But whoever loves, the, does the will of the Father and loves the Father is going to live forever. That's the promise. Does that promise mean enough to you and I that we would give ourselves to him to be his conduits, to do his will and work in the earth to reach the lost? Now, the saved are involved with the lost. But those who are supposed to be saved that are not involved with the lost, the one way to get saved again is get involved with the lost. Because if I'm involved with the lost and I'm having no fruit, then I know if I'm trying to be involved with the lost and I'm having no fruit, then I know there's something wrong with my relationship with God. Because Jesus taught in John 15 verses 1 through 8 that those who abide in him and he abides in them, they are fruitful. They are fruitful. Oh, I know, I know. We try to cop out. We, we try to bail out on that scripture by saying, oh, this is a fruit of the Spirit. That is an impossible point to prove scripturally. It's impossible to prove that. So if that's not the fruit of the Spirit, if that's the fruit the Spirit produces through me, which is souls being saved, and I don't have any fruit, what does that mean about where I am in God? So again, the saved are involved with the lost. But if I'm not where I need to be with God, one of the best ways to find out 
how bad off I am, is get involved with the lost because my fruitlessness will demonstrate my spiritual barrenness and hopefully the love of God and the grace of God will work in my life and grant me repentance that I might repent and be saved. Again, in Psalms 51, when David prayed his prayer repentance, he said, Lord, you turn my life around and restore these things in me, then sinners will be converted unto you. The truly repentant are always spiritually fruitful in the kingdom of God. I pray in Jesus' name that the conviction of the Holy Ghost would be upon you and me right now and that it would bring in us a desire to repent. Godly sorrow worketh or energizes repentance. Repentance is change. I want to change. I want my life to reflect my relationship with Him in the most positive way possible. I pray in Jesus' name, I pray in Jesus' name that you and I would receive the grace of God and allow that grace to work in us, to bring us to this place of repentance so we can separate ourselves from these things and involve ourselves with God and become fruitful participants and conduits in his kingdom to his glory. For thine is the kingdom. It's your power doing it. And you get the glory for all that is done. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.